Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. Malkovich! Radio signal transmitted by the Soviet Sputnik as it traverses the October sky. Did you see Sputnik over the other night? Anywhere in the world, someone could look up and see exactly what I saw. To everyone else, it was just a light in the sky. Let them have outer space. We got rock and roll. But to Homer Hickam, it was the future. Sputnik is a milestone in history. And just maybe a way out. College scholarships for winning a science fair? I'm going to build a rocket. You better take an interest in your own town. Just don't blow yourself up. Nah. Hey, should we get behind something? What do you want to know about rockets? Everything. A lucky one will get out on a football scholarship. How about I believe in the unlucky ones? Oh, it for the mind. Oh, thank the good Lord that you didn't kill anybody. Things are bad at the mine. Daddy's stuck in the middle. Well, you put all this nonsense behind you, Homer. It isn't nonsense. Sure was exciting watching your rockets go up. I know I'm going to be a miner. I've known my entire life. And I have no choice. As long as you are alive on this planet, you have a choice. From the producer of Field of Dreams, a Joe Johnston film. Coleman's your life. It's not mine. Universal Pictures presents the true story of a boy who risked everything for a dream. You want to get out of here so bad, then go. Go! Yeah, I'll go! I won't even look back! Sometimes, you just can't listen to what anybody else says. You just gotta listen inside. This spring, turn your eyes to the sky and watch what happens when everything you believe in soars. I think we got a chance. October Sky. Kind of strange because I have decaf coffee next to me instead of alcohol. So. I don't know if that'll improve the quality. Maybe less, <laughs> lesser quality. I'm guessing it's going to be lesser quality, but but we'll see. Um, so I, okay, well, well you know, uh, what's your history with October Sky? Well, I believe I'd mentioned uh, last time around that uh, I had an opportunity to see it. Uh, early uh, in its initial run, I guess when I was I was excited about uh, Ed TV, the uh, that classic Ron Howard film, 
and I could not convince my high school buddy to uh, to stick around for a double feature that included October Sky. So, for whatever reason, I uh, I just said never never watched it until this week for this podcast, and um, I don't really have good reasons. Uh, it may be something that just in my teenage years on initial release just looked a little too family friendly. Uh, there was certainly nothing cool about the the premise. And uh, I think I've also been wary growing up in Kentucky of anything that is about uh, small town uh, country life and hill folk in a way. And uh, so it may be something that's just the, the beats just looked too familiar to me. And uh, I didn't feel like the film would have anything to offer. So uh, this is a this is basically is a new release for me. Other than the fact that we are time traveling back to see a very young uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, certainly far removed from his Nightcrawler Southpaw days. So I, I have no experience. Um, what about yourself? Um, so kind of the exact opposite. Uh, I, I had really fond memories of seeing this in theaters, and um, I don't know if I I think I may have watched it once all the way through since then. But that probably would have been like when I was in high school. I don't think I'd I'd watched it um, all the way uh, until this week, um, and I was surprised. I was surprised how well it held up. Um, I, I find it's going to be. I'm, I'm going. I'm interested in hearing your response after you expressed all that. I don't know skepticism uh, about all these. You know, if you're going to rule out every movie that takes place in a small town, you know the world's <laughs> going to get pretty small. Uh, Michael Denniston. I so. don't know. There's there's an awful lot of uh, New York and uh, L.A. based stories that are filmed in Canada. So I, th- I think I still would have a lot of viewing material here. Um, I I enjoyed it. I you know I, I don't think it, it certainly broke out from the skepticism you just mentioned as far as. Uh, it's still a very familiar story. Uh, I think it's it's well done, and at times incredibly well done. I think when you have a caliber of actors like uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Chris Cooper playing father and son, uh, albeit this is Gyllenhaal much younger, um, those scenes you know we have seen them before, but they they totally work. Uh, I I like that, and I don't know if this is true because I don't I don't really know anything about the uh, the source material, the uh, the Rocket Boys book or Homer Hickman, but um, I like that you know this is not a uh, incredibly gifted, uh, out of the womb talented kid who is some sort of boy genius that has just had the uh, the misfortune of being born in a small town. Uh, West Virginia in the in the fifties. I, I like that he's someone that has aspirations for something bigger. He's inspired by the time that he lives in the the, the upcoming space race, and he has to really work at it. I mean, you have other characters. There's one in particular who's, I guess, the you know the smart kid or the the dork that he sort of leans on and partners up with. But I like for once we have a lead that you know he's not a dumb guy. But he's someone that accomplishes things through hard work uh, that we often only see in sports films. Uh, but even then, those people are usually more gifted than the average person to start with. So I like that we actually saw one that was based on uh, education and furthering your education to accomplish your goals. So I, I, I like that small little twist on it. I don't think we see that often, especially now. Yeah, I mean, overall, I, re- I just really like the arc that we see with his character. It isn't a simple uh, kind of thing. And it's funny because of the way that we're doing this. 
you know, when I saw this movie in 1999 in theaters, I hadn't seen Varsity Blues, so that wasn't in my, you know, memory or my head at all. Uh, but now because, you know, we watched Varsity Blues as the first film, uh, for, for this thing, that's where my head instantly goes to because the relationship with, between the main character and the father are, are pretty similar. Uh, it's much more, uh, fleshed out here in October Sky, but it's essentially another, you know, essentially we get another scene of, you know, I don't want your life, uh, played <laughs> out here. Uh, right. and, and so it's funny how just the experiment of, of watching these movies this way can kind of tailor your perception. Uh, and even tailor the perception of maybe film critics at the time that would be watching either of those movies at any time. Um, but yeah, no, I really, I, I really enjoy, uh, what you said about, uh, about him not being, so I don't know. I guess we don't really even see a lot of typical movies that are about smart kids who, you know, who go off and endeavor to, to do things like this. Um, you know, so, uh, it was weird that I read that the, apparently the Quentin character and, uh, Homer Hickam's character, they're actually switched in real life that Homer Hickam was actually more the book nerd and that Quentin was, was more like Homer Hickam in this movie. Uh, and so mm. do you think that's a, it's an interesting choice. And I definitely think you identify more with Homer Hickam, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character here because they did that. But do you think, does that kind of, does that kind of ruin it for you, Michael? <laughs> Uh, no, I, I think they made the correct choice. They made it more interesting for me. Um, you know, some of it is probably Jake Gyllenhaal uh, is is certainly uh, as he has become a leading man, looks more like a, a teen heartthrob, maybe like more of the uh, uh, a strange everyman. But um, you know, they they definitely go with a a nerd look uh, for the other guy. I I think that it's it's something where. It drives the film more to to have him, and because I questioned when I was watching it, like, would it, you know, this could have been anything, right? Like, this is a kid who's desperate to not go into the coal mines, really, and I think that's that's an important distinction as opposed to having uh, him be someone that's already incredibly. Uh, mm-hmm. smart mm-hmm. and talented and it's just like oh of course i would take this option because this is what i was born for and i'm already have an affinity for it uh i think you know that's a problem you mentioned varsity blues which i hadn't really thought of although it, it fits perfectly with that sort of the, the sports analogy i was going for um one issue with that film is the the james vanderbeek character uh he can sit on the the bench and he's reading slaughterhouse five and he's uh, going to brown university uh, he's the backup quarterback, and when he gets his opportunity, he can gun the football like no other. Like he's John Elway. He's just someone <laughs> that things just come incredibly easy for. Um, and I don't feel you know the film shouldn't focus on his book smarts as much because it's a sports movie. Uh, but that's one issue I have with it. And uh, here I really like that uh, it's it's a bit of a struggle. I like the arguments that the Homer Hickam character has with his friends. You know, it's there's yeah. I've had some of those debates too where it's like. You find yourself in this uncomfortable position where you're you're so desperate for for more out of life, uh, a lust for life in a way that you can find yourself getting angry at people who maybe are a little more pragmatic, a little more practical in what they're 
what their lives are going to be. And it's, it's an, those are uncomfortable conversations. Uh, and I don't think the film shies away from any of them while still, you know, retaining its sort of family film sensibilities. So, uh, I, you know, I, I kind of feel bad that I've waited this long to see it, but I, I do should. wonder you if, should feel bad. <laughs> but do you think as a teenager, do you think I would have been, well, I may have been I, I dismissive of it. <laughs> Well, Did you, you dismiss it or you were? Uh, no, no I, I mean, I, I really liked it uh, as, as a teenager. I think you would you probably would have liked it, um, maybe even more so. Uh, I, I think the I think I think when you're younger, these things are very subjective. Um, you know, October Sky might have been one of 20 movies that I saw in theaters uh, when I was that age. And so maybe you it colors your perception as well. Um, and I mm. think we'll find that as we as we go through um you know, doing this, uh, one in particular, uh, stands out for that. And, and, you know, no spoilers, but it rhymes with Mantum, uh, Hennis. Uh, so <laughs> I like how you coded that. Uh, it'll take them weeks to figure out which film that is. <laughs> that, that's interesting. It's a, it's definitely a difference between you and I, because, uh, even then, uh, and maybe it's just because of my surroundings in a smaller Kentucky town, but I was I was seeing a theatrical release about once a week, even as a teenager. I was that was that was my thing, and so I still avoided October Sky. But I tried. I just could not convince my buddies, uh, who I guess we were the target audience. They had you know they had no interest in it. Well, I'm um, trying to remember how many movies I saw in theaters, and it's kind of hard. And I and I'm trying to if I'm looking at the. Um, what we've gone through so far, I think October Sky is the first one that I saw in theaters. Am I forgetting something? No. Yeah, this would be the first one. So. Well, I, I can't wait till we get to stuff like uh, Go, which I was <laughs> I saw twice on opening week. So maybe I'm just the wrong person to talk to. I was a bit extremist supporting the industry back in 99. Um, I'll tell you one thing that was... And I kind of alluded to it last week. I don't know if we're going to leave that in the uh, in the show, but I was wary of Laura Dern uh, playing yet another mother figure, which is what she's sort of fallen into uh, in recent years. And I guess in a way she is, uh, but she's more inspirational. She's she's a teacher that really supports the the Rocket Boys and their their cause, their their really their interest in uh, the space race. And I thought that worked quite well here and that, i think this is a it's, it could be a very, fairly thankless part because it's it's pretty one note she's the the cheerleader here that kind of or i guess the 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 in-betweener shielding them from uh the other people at the school and parents who who want them to kind of get their their heads together and and face reality uh what what did you make of her performance here in and what i consider to be uh a thankless role well yeah i mean she does a lot with with what i think could have been you know, really forgettable. Um, you know, especially these scenes of her, um, uh, you know, when she, when she has her illness and everything later in the movie, um, you know, those could have come off as really cheesy. Those could have, could have come off as overly sentimental for a character who wasn't really the central focus of the movie. Um, and they don't, they come off as melancholy and sad in the way they're supposed to, um, but they never, you know, take the focus away and uh, they never, they never feel, it never feels like she's gunning for her, her Oscar scene, um, you know, in this movie, even though it kind of, uh, if you look at the, if you were to just describe what happens, it would sound like it would be. Um, and you're mm-hmm. right. It's even as a teacher, her role is underdeveloped 
in the earlier part. She doesn't really get a lot of scenes of her and Homer and her like inspiring Homer with some sort of intellectual argument. Um, you know, the way that, uh, McAllister, um, Matthew Broderick does in, uh, election. And, um, you know, so yeah, it's underdeveloped in that sense, but she does, but her presence just kind of, you, you believe that she's smart enough and that she's, uh, inspired Homer in some, some off screen kind of way. It's strange because talking just a few minutes ago about the the switching of the I guess the the actual social dynamics of the real Homer Hickam and and his his buddy um, making him uh, less of a nerd and his friend more of the nerd. I uh, I I think if I had not read uh, after the fact uh, that this teacher um, you know this was something that did happen to her as far as her illness and they, mm-hmm. they have it in the sort of the post credits as far as like the real people, what happened to them. I, I would have felt, uh, a little, uh, more spiteful, I guess, towards the film for including that. Cause you're right. It's not, you know, she's not the central focus and it's a weird, uh, sort of third act thing to, I guess, remove her, as I said, as the cheerleader presence from these, these boys, uh, because of her illness. Uh, but I, I think, you know, it's also important because there's this, and especially as a teenager, there's, there's this weird sense that time is running out. I don't know if you felt that way, yeah. uh, but you know, that's, that's all over this, this film and these characters and that, you know, they're not just trying to decide what they want to be when they grow up, but they feel like because of this, the economic pressure uh, brought upon by their, their family struggles, this dependence on the, the coal industry, uh, it's really heightened with these kids that they have to pretty much have something to latch onto immediately, uh, or they are their their fate will be to go into the, the coal mines. And having her illness uh, come about, it does kind of work uh, with that narrative. I mean, it's unfortunate this happened to a real person, uh, but this this pressure and this idea that that life is short, uh, I think, is really accentuated in the film in a good way. I, I think it's it's something that probably would have appealed uh, to the younger audience. If I had seen as a teenager, I would have, I would have felt that more uh, than you do when you're older. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. I think it's a reminder of, you know, the people who have taken sacrifices uh, and this is going to sound corny, but you know, for Homer and for these other kids to, you know, reach their dreams or whatever. Um, like she's never going to get to do what he's going to get to do, but she helped him on his way there kind of thing. And what you were talking about in terms of like time running out. Yeah. Even Chris Cooper's character is being told, you know, the mind is just not putting out the way it used to. Um, He's being reminded constantly that his way of life, that everything he's really known is basically going to end, you know, and he, and he's really fighting against that. And I think a large part of the distance and anger that he shows towards his son is just sort of anger that, you know, that, uh, that he could never have been anything more than, than what he is. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, you, I hadn't thought of it specifically in those words in terms of like time running out, but that's a very good way of putting it. And also, I think, you know, differing from Varsity Blues, which is just this sort of pride that you can take in um, your, your children, I guess, following in your footsteps in that film with, with football, uh, it's a little bit more here because I, I feel like the way Chris, Chris Cooper plays this character is that you know, he's a man that takes pride in his, his work, his family, his town, and he is he's really bearing the responsibility of 
all of those things. I mean, not only just putting food on the table and having concern as most parents would for what their, you know, their children able to take care of themselves after he's gone. Uh, but the, the whole idea of the strike breaking out and him trying to balance uh, the, the plight of the workers uh, who do very dangerous jobs and the fact that that industry, if it, if it decides to up and leave is the only thing supporting that town. Um, it's really interesting uh, because it's. I think it, it makes you feel a little bit more for the overbearing and somewhat distant father figure mm-hmm. that we often see in these films uh, because he's someone that, though he doesn't emote a lot, uh, I think there, there's a, certainly a lot of emotion uh, in that responsibility of legacy and what he's going to leave behind that goes beyond just his own family, but just that that entire town. And and knowing, you know, after the fact that the, the town just went under and just doesn't really exist. I even read that uh, they don't even hold, I guess, their, their sort of Rocket Boys uh, little festival they do uh, every year, this little annual event, uh, because there's not enough people like close by to the actual place where these events happened to really support that, that it's, it's held in a different town, um, a number of miles away. It's it's just, it's sad. And it, it does really make me, uh, feel more for the, the father character that, that scene where he, uh, where Homer has gone into the mines, uh, because of his father's injury. Uh, and he's, he takes such genuine pride and not only what he can do and this this talent he has, this gift for for working in those minds, but also in his son for for seeing that that talent passed down. And the, then Jake Gyllenhaal's face, where he is so concerned and almost wounded, like he realizes, yeah, this was be something I could step into, but I I don't want any part of it. And knowing that he's gonna have to reject his father and reject his father's pride in a way uh, is really moving. It's a really touching scene. That thing you said about the about not even having the Rocket Boys competition in the town in that town anymore uh wow that's so sad maybe joe johnston mm-hmm. can go back and add this uh to the epilogue in the director's cut or whatever uh just to really uh <laughs> make people sad at the end uh maybe he can movie. put some of those uh <laughs> those captain america first avenger residuals up there and oh, yeah, <laughs> support there it a little bit more uh speaking <laughs> of which i'm not it's it's kind of odd because i'm not really a big fan of his uh outside of this movie this doesn't feel like any of the, like I look at his movie, at his filmography here, this doesn't feel like any of them. Um, they're mostly, uh, based around visual spectacle. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, The Rocketeer, Jumanji, Jurassic Park 3, Hidalgo, The Wolfman, and like you said, Captain America. And it's like this just kind of sticks out in a very strange way. Uh, and it kind of makes you, it kind of makes you wonder why they got, Joe Johnson or why he was attracted to this material. Um, you know, and it's, and it's odd because I think it's excellent. Like if, if I was, if you were to tell me, you know, this is from some unnamed director or whatever, I would say, wow, this is, this person is someone to really look out for. Uh, and yet not, none of nothing in the rest of his filmography, I think, is, I don't think any, I mean, Jumanji is fine, I guess, but, um, the Rocketeer isn't as is one of those movies you should just watch as a kid and not go back and revisit because it's it's not as good as you remember it. Um, That's funny because that one seems to have a lot of respect <laughs> online, and I've not it does, watched I know, it since I was I know. a kid. I I wouldn't recommend watching it uh, <laughs> if if you haven't watched it since you were a kid. It's better to just leave it okay. there. Uh, Jurassic Park three is horrible. Um, I, the Wolf fans okay. Uh, I fell asleep during both uh, Captain Americas that I saw. So I don't know. I guess people like those ones, but whatever. 
I have the feeling that October Sky, uh, you know, I have to have some sort of belief here that this was a passion project of some sort for him. But you're right, it really does stick out. Like, even after he's had other hits, like, I guess, you know, Jurassic Park 3, I guess going to Hidalgo was maybe another passion project. But uh, it feels very much like, okay, Rocketeer, Jumanji. Uh, this guy does kids' movies. Uh, I guess there's some tech in the Rocketeer. Uh-huh. There's uh-huh. Rockets. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I don't know. He, this guy does some sci-fi family films, so let him take a shot at uh, October Sky. Um, but I, I, I wish – I don't know. His character work is so good here. Yeah. I don't know if it's yeah. just the quality of the actors or what, but I have to figure that he, you know, he gets some really great performances out of this – uh, what feels like a, it could be a very throwaway, you know, Disney type family friendly film. Uh, and it really works as an adult drama as well for a, a PG family movie. So it, it is disappointing looking at his filmography that he's kind of relegated to uh, just sci-fi or fantasy territory. Maybe it's disappointing and maybe it's, maybe it's what he wanted. Um, I mean, you know what I mean? Like I have to think that when 90% of your movies are pointing in one direction, and then you have this one movie that's pointing in a different direction. Maybe the director is the odd man out here, um, you know. And, and and that being said, it's really good work. This is really this is really good work. I love the sequ- the sequence in the movie where uh, where Hickam is going down to the mines for the first time, and I love how we get how um, Mark Isham's uh, score. He he repeats the small town. Uh, theme that he that he used at the beginning, um, and you hadn't heard that theme throughout the whole movie until Hickam goes down to uh, to the to the mines. That's the second time you hear it. Uh, it's just perfect. Like it's just like a perfect. Uh, it's perfect subtle filmmaking. Love the um, the uh, the the immigrant worker that has family uh, back home uh, that that helps him uh, engineer uh, some of his early rockets, and uh, you know he, the the son here uh, Homer thinks that his father uh, has, is punishing this man by sending him to the mines for for helping him in this endeavor that his father doesn't approve of, and there's this exchange where this guy's like, oh no, the, like, he's actually doing me a, a favor. You know how much more I can make down there, and like I've, I have to take care of my family back home. I send them money. I'm counting on this. Like your your father has done me a great service, and it's something that is such a um, a teenage moment. Uh, and yeah, I think you're with the Homer character and thinking mm-hmm. like, okay, yeah, yeah. The, the father's really taking it out on his son and not considering that, yes, I mean, while this guy is capable of uh, more, uh, you know, maybe more thoughtful projects uh, and more creative projects, uh, for him, you know, this is, it is about putting food on the table and he sees this as a, as a gift that his uh, Chris Cooper has done for him, and I I love that because it I was I was seeing it from Jake Gyllenhaal's eyes, and uh, it did make me reconsider uh, a lot of things. And I think it's something as a young man, uh, if you don't have a job that's creatively fulfilling in some way, uh, it's it's beneath you. You know that's that is the uh, like physical labor is something that 
uh, only failures in life have to do as opposed to the, the workers actually taking pride in that work mm-hmm. and being very thankful to, to, you know, make good money at doing something like that and hard, hard work. So, uh, I, I like that, that scene quite a bit. Uh, there's just a lot, there's a lot more to it than I thought there would be. So I just have to admit, I was just totally wrong about October sky. Yeah. And I, I was just pleasantly surprised how well it held up. I thought, I really thought I would come back to it and it would come off as pretty corny uh, or cheesy outside of Jake Gyllenhaal and Chris Cooper's performance, which I always remembered as being, you know, pretty strong. Um, and the father character, you know, itself is just a really interesting, um, like, route to go down here. We appreciate the sacrifice you made here, Homer. But pretty soon you'll be able to go back and finish up the school year. I'm not going back to school. Weeks left in the term. Just stay put. Well, I think you ought to finish high school. Well, tell him, John. Homer's not a boy anymore. I don't think I can tell him anything. Doesn't feel like he's being manipulative. Doesn't feel like he's uh, he's he's literally uh, kind of granting something to his son there. Yeah, he doesn't. It doesn't appear that he's taking it as a win. Yeah, that he finally like bested his child in a way. Like there's there's a certain amount of pride in seeing his son become a man and and making adult decisions, uh, and I I agree with you. It would have been <laughs> the varsity blues route yeah. certainly would have been <laughs> a little not as subtle or as nuanced there, but uh, very different films with uh, different aims. Sure, certainly, uh, I I think I think she's all that uh, father uh, that that's just right out uh, the ten minute <laughs> screen time guy, uh, or even less than that. Um, <laughs> So uh, kind of to, to, to wrap up on that that note, one thing that struck me, and I know you're, uh, we, we've talked about quite a bit, uh, especially on other podcasts, is um, the sort of death of uh, adult uh, melodrama. And you know the, the release date for this was in early uh, 1999, and it does sort of fit in a certain window that is uh, going to be more a little bit more serious fare, but it still retains some populist sensibilities. It's entertaining. Um, I have to think now I'm wondering what type of film would this be? Uh, would they, would they try to heighten the drama to kind of fit it in the, the fall season for uh, awards expectations? Would that be the only way something like this gets produced? Or can you think of something that still fits in that, that more adult fare, but uh, has no illusions about competing for awards attention and still sort of maintains, you know, some basic entertainment sensibilities. It wouldn't be able to fit into in today's marketplace period. I mean, really good movies like this just don't fit in, in, in the, in what we have right now. And, and, and he had to, had to remind you, like, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal was not a, a name at all. Uh, this is basically the first, uh, thing for him, even Chris Cooper. This is a this is a breakout role for him. He had been a character actor for many years, and the other big one I can think of is Maytuan, Maytuan, um, the John Sales movie that I've never seen. Mm. Um, but there's th- th- this with his performance in American Beauty was a really big, you know, breakout role for him. So Laura Dern is the celebrity um, in this movie in 1999. And the movie still managed, yeah. <laughs> and the movie still managed to do semi decently uh, despite that. And, and yet, it was also it had a very modest budget, considering that it's a period piece, um, you know, with other 
technical challenges and everything going on, like you brought up. Uh, and so unfortunately, you know, then that's part of the reason why I'm excited about doing this podcast is because there were so many movies like this that were made. And maybe, maybe there were so many that, that, that there are ones that we haven't, um, you know, considered that were, that are going to be pleasant surprises as we go through this. It is a, it's, it's a fun podcast to do with you. And it's also incredibly depressing as well. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, October Sky, uh, wide release, you know, February. It was, uh, now it would be going up against uh, Deadpool or King Kong or something of that nature. So. And then there would be, there'd be uh, all yeah, these this... deadline articles. Why did they release this movie now? And like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, how dare you people make this movie? <laughs> what were you that's, thinking? Uh, that's basically what the uh, the uh, the circle has been getting mm-hmm. with James Ponsall. What a, what an asshole! How dare he? What for the releasing fuck that? is his problem? <laughs> Making a goddamn movie? I mean, Jesus Christ! Oh, people, people. You know, I can say uh, since we're recording these uh, well in advance before we release them, I'm just going to predict that'll be some of the early iTunes reviews as well. Ben, what the fuck are these guys' <laughs> problem? <laughs> Why are they doing this? Why are so. you making a movie? How dare you! <laughs> That's that's the new film criticism. Uh, people get paid to go on Twitter and write stuff like that. So, all right, they, they get it. They get exposure. <laughs> they don't get paid. Let's be let's be clear. <laughs> I think some of them get paid. I think some of them uh-huh. get paid for that stuff. And if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, feel free to do so on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at ninety nine from ninety nine.